Man. Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The name of Jesus. The person of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn to the book of Titus, chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. It, this is one of my favorite passages. I found this passage a long time ago and uh, worked on memorizing it. And it is everything you need to know about being a Christian. Kind of encapsulate. I mean, obviously the rest of the Bible is important. Don't, don't go out of here telling you, saying that the pastor says, oh, you only need the four verses. This is a, a verse, a passage that encapsulates everything. I, I hope you would want something like that. And we're going to talk about that. But let me, before I get too excited here, let me go ahead and read this passage for us. Uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 15. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Proclaim these things, encourage and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of salvation. And thank you for these verses. As Paul is in the end section of his ministry, Father, we know that he has learned some things, more things from your spirit. And he encapsulates all that we as believers need to know to continue to hang on to the truth of Jesus Christ, the name above all names. What a powerful name it is. Guide us this morning in this study, Father, and as we look at this. And may you be here in your spirit, changing hearts, and rectifying souls. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, I hope you sell there that it captures everything we need to know as a Christian. If you, I'm going to go into a little English class for you. You know what first person plural pronouns are, right? Us, we, all. There's a lot of them in this passage. There's a lot of them there. This is what God did for us. Grace makes it possible and hope keeps it alive. So in this letter to Titus and the, church on the churches on the island of Crete, Paul has been instructing them and giving them help on many issues and how to live and how to combat divisive and error, erroneous teaching. But now Paul preaches how they may live up to those verses we talked about last week, verses 2 through 10. I know some of you probably left here going, man, that's, that's hard. All those things he's asked us to do, regardless of your age and, and gender, that's, those are hard. But Paul is telling them there's a way to do this because it seems impossible. Paul strongly reminds the church that all God did in Christ grants them everything they need. Everything they need. And so if you call yourself a Christian this morning, then this passage encompasses everything about living the Christian life. Everything you need for your faith now and forever. That's what this passage is going to tell us. So, so what did God do for us and what are we supposed to do with it? 
That's kind of the questions I want to answer this morning. God rescues us for two ages, two time frames, now and forever. That's what he does. So first we're going to talk about God's grace makes our now better. God's grace makes our now, current time, present time better. Verses 11 through 12 and 14 through 15. I want to read those again for us. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lust and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in this present age. Skipping down to 14. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Proclaim these things. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So first I want to talk to the believers in the room. The believers, the Christians who are here this morning, what it means to be a Christian, and it's captured in here, God makes our, our now better. Like I said, really, if you go all the way back to chapter 1, verse 10, and you go all the way through chapter 2, verse 10, there's a lot of stuff in there we're supposed to do. And it, it's, it, it mounts up. I mean, some of you left here and said, man, I got a lot to chew on this week, or you gave us a lot of stuff to do last week, Pastor. And I was like, yeah, but the good news is you don't have to do it alone. And that's what this talks about. He calls the church to some major changes here as he writes to the, the churches on Crete and to Titus. So he wants to, he wants to help them. But first of all, they got to recognize and counter false doctrine. That was in chapter 1. And then live out a life that pleases God. But it seems impossible. I, can, I, I saw it on your face last week. I was reading these things and defining them, and y'all like, I can't do all that. The disciples thought the same thing. And in Mark chapter 10, verse 27, after the, the, the rich young ruler had walked away and Jesus said it's, it's impossible for, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And they said, who could be saved? And Jesus said, with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So Paul reminds them of what God has done to make it possible to live like we should. So it starts off, for the grace of God has appeared. Now, grace is kind of this action, but it's not really a person. But in this case, it is. Jesus Christ is God's most amazing definition of grace. That's where we get the song, Amazing Grace, from. Jesus is the perfect example for all humanity of amazing grace. He is the grace that Paul's talking about. The grace of God has appeared. He came to bring salvation, making us right before a perfect God. A perfect God. He's, he's got no sin. He's got to have perfection in his presence. Jesus came and he gave us a pardon. That was in one of the songs. Me and Jeremy don't compare and come up with these songs. He reads the passage. I read this passage. He picked some songs this week that were right on spot with what God's going to say to us. Jesus came and pardoned us when we believe in him he gave us a pardon a, a pardon from death for our sin let that sink in it doesn't matter what sin you've committed all sin is sin to god he gave us a pardon there is no other name given unto men by which we must be saved no other name under heaven that you can be saved by jesus is the way the truth and the life He's the one mediator between God and humanity. He is the only one. There is no other mediator. 
Our souls are saved by grace through faith by God. That's the only way they're saved. There's nothing you can do about it except trust Jesus. You can't make yourself better. And remember where Jesus came from. <laughs> Sometimes we kind of forget that. Jesus was a man. He walked for 33 years and lived on the earth. No, he came from God. He existed before creation. He's always been there, not in human form. But the Son of God has always been there. He came from God and God sent him. John 3, 16 through 17, for God so loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That for those who believe in him, you will have eternal life. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's the whole point. God wanted to save all types of people. When Paul says here in, in verse 11, all people, he's talking about all types of people. Doesn't matter race, creed, color, doesn't matter what your status is. All manner of people are to be saved. And Jesus came to do that. Christ's death, burial, and resurrection rescues those who believe, who believe, who trust it from a, from a life of guilt, a life of fear, a life of condemnation. Those are, those are three major emotions that we all struggle under. Guilt, fear, and condemnation. Those are three events in our lives that we struggle under. And Jesus Christ came to rescue us from those. Therefore, because of this grace, our new heart is instructed to live differently, to live better. That's in verse 12. That's what he's talking about in verse 12. Instructing us to... Let's talk about this a little bit too. Deny godlessness. So that's what, that's what most people out there that don't know Christ are living like. They're living like there is no God. There is no accountability. There is no, going to be no retribution for your sin against God. Christ makes it clear though that there is a God. There is a God. So stop living like there is no God. Deny godlessness. Once we accept Christ's forgiveness, we know we should resist sinful desires in the world. The worldly lust, as he says here. Most of us know right and wrong. It's amazing. Little kids know when they've been caught. It's funny. Did you get in the cookie jar? No. Put it behind their back thinking they're, it's invisible to their mom and dad. They think they got away with it. But they know well, something was wrong because they hid the cookie. We, we know we were wrong. Worldly here. It means those things, those items, those pleasures that will not transfer to the next life. And there's a lot of that out there. A lot of things we hang on to and work hard for. Deny those lusts. Deny them. That's what a, a Christian does. The grace of God has appeared to save us from those lusts. And then, to help eliminate those two things, godlessness in our life and lust, he gives us three things to, to live like. These are adverbs, basically, describing how we should live. And, and they help replace the stuff we're kicking out of our life. Sensible, righteous, and godly. I don't think I have to explain those to you. But you know what those things to refer to? Sensible refers to yourself. Being self-controlled, being sober-minded, being sensible about your life, according to God's word. Being righteous talks about your relationships, being upright with people around you, and then godly, your relationship with God. And the only thing that makes you godly is the grace of God that has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. 
In other words, living in a thoughtful self-control, in uprightness, dealing with others, and in holiness toward God, that bodes well for your life now. If you live that way, you'll have minimal conflicts, you'll have minimal problems. I won't say all your problems are going to go away, but you'll have a better life. Why? Well, I hope you know, but let me explain because Paul does. In verse 14, you go down to verse 14, he, he, says, he says, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession. See, Jesus gave himself. Jesus surrendered his physical life so our spiritual life would be alive. That's, why, that's what he did. He surrendered his human life to pay our death sentence. We're all, we were all under a spiritual death sentence, an eternal death sentence, until we have faith in Christ. And so in this season of thankfulness, as you see all the fall colors around, in this season of thankfulness, we need to remember who we need to thank and what we need to thank him for. God has done this. Don't miss this point. Be grateful for what Jesus has done. Jeremy talked about it last night as he, as he said the blessing for our, our meal. Jesus is, the, is, a, is a main point of gratitude. Matter of fact, God and Christ is the reason Thanksgiving was created, okay? A chance for us to return thanks to the God of all creation. But Jesus, he, went, he, went, he did so much more than we sometimes realize. He took our eternal death sentence. And for those of us who believe and trust in his death, burial, and resurrection for our sins, we no longer have that sentence over our heads, and we need to be grateful for this. We need to live like you're grateful, not like you're an ingrate, okay? We need to live differently. You've been redeemed from sinning, living like there's no law in your life. You don't have to live like that, that lawlessness that he talks about in verse 14. There is righteousness. There is a right way to live, and God's given it to us. If we do not display any overall change in our life as a believer, our salvation may be suspect. I'm not going to stand here and judge you. But don't let your life be questionable. Live differently because you're, you're called to live differently. You're saved to live differently. Leave proof with your family and your friends. Leave proof that you have changed, that God has saved you. That's what, it, what should happen. See, Christ died for you to, to make you his, a people of his own possession. Accepting by faith his death, burial, and resurrection, you are now his. You are now his. You belong to Jesus if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. He has bought you from hell and Satan. Because until you accept Christ, Satan owns you. He owns you by your sinful nature. So we need to be eager to do good works. That's what he says. He saved us, those people, for being eager to do good works. Being eager to do the right things, being eager. You know, I know some of you are thinking, well, how eager, Pastor? Well, I'm glad you asked. Why are we eager? Because we're grateful. If someone saved your life in the ocean, you would be grateful, right? You would want to repay them. Might even really want to be their servant for a while. Help them out. But let me tell you how, it, how, it, how we can start being more grateful. We can start simply by realizing that without Jesus, we would be pouring our life into evil and wickedness and sin and temporary things. Without Jesus Christ, we would be wasting this life. 
when the truth of our utter hopelessness, the truth that we were utterly hopeless before his grace appeared, when we realize that, we should want to serve him. We should want to live. We should want to act. We should want to love in gratitude. Because that's what he called us to do. If you love your Savior, you will obey his commands. Jesus said that so many times in the Gospels. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love your Savior, you will obey his commands to love God and love your neighbor, no matter who your neighbor is. I mean, we owe God everything as believers, okay? We owe God everything. Everything. You, you don't have anything that's yours. You don't have anything that you receive without receiving it from God. But you can never pay him back. This, this gift is priceless, literally priceless, like completely unpriced. Can't even begin to think about it. You can't pay him back, but you can be grateful and you can live in gratitude to God by obeying his son's commands. And he gets to verse 15 and he tells us what else we're supposed to do with this truth that the grace of God has appeared. We're to teach people, teach them, teach these things to others with an encouragement, also with correction, encouragement and, and rebuking, as he says in the scripture. It's God's message that we carry. So we got, we got authority, believe it or not. Some people want to say, well, you know, you got to prove the Bible's true to me. No, I don't. I don't. I can, but I don't. I don't have to. We have authority from God to tell the world that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. We have that authority. You don't need anybody's permission to tell anybody that. And these persecuted believers, they do that every day. Every day. They go and they tell someone about Jesus on the authority of God Almighty. Not, on, not wondering if the government's going to put them in jail that day. Not wondering if some Islamist extremist group or some other terrorist group is going to oppress them. We have the authority of God. And even when the world, when the lost out there, the cynical and the atheist say it has no power over them, they are wrong. It does. The authority of God's word has power over everybody. One day everybody's going to realize that. They will one day at their, at their death or when Jesus returns, they will find out what we already know as believers. God's gospel is true. It's true. I hope you believe it to that depth that no matter what's going on in the world around you, no matter what people are saying about your Bible and about Christianity and about everything else, about, about Christians who say they're Christians but then act like a, a, a lost person, it doesn't matter what they say. The power of God and the authority of God in his word says God's gospel is true. And one day everybody's going to find that out. So don't let anybody dismiss your message. I mean, even if they reject it, Move on to the next person. Say it to them. We don't, we don't have to argue them into heaven because if I can argue them into heaven, someone can probably argue them out of heaven. God saves. We're just the messenger. And that's the sole reason we've been left here. We've been left on planet Earth to tell people about Jesus Christ, to proclaim his authoritative message, as, he, as Paul tells Titus here in verse 15. So, in the grace of God, we find everything for life in this world which is our temporary lodging. You're only here for a short period of time. I turn 60 next month. Whew, 60. Seems like yesterday I was six. It does go by in a hurry. Every old person I've met told me that. 
I didn't want to believe it, but it does. But God's grace has appeared. Jesus Christ came, lived, died, buried, rose, ascended. He appeared. God's grace appeared. And when we trust it by faith, our life is eternally better. And it begins right now. Right here. Your life can be spiritually, eternally better. Let me give you some perspective on this from Paul. Paul, Paul always has, he has such a great perspective because he sold out totally for Christ. You know, some people say, well, he was called to this. Well, he was called to this. But when you write things like Galatians 2.20, you're more than just called. You're sold out. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You hear that perspective? That should be our perspective. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Put that somewhere, write that down somewhere and repeat it to yourself constantly. That's the perspective we should have. Now, I'm not promising prosperity, okay? So I'm not saying you're going to be prosperous materially, monetarily, but you will have a life that is secured by faith based on love, not a blind faith, not a, a ritual faith like they were trying to beat into that little kid in Nepal, a faith that's based on love for all eternity. His love never fades. His love never fails. His love goes on forever. You know, I've seen this kind of transformation in a, in a more, I don't know, more tangible sense. Um, when someone starts managing their finances better. I've seen it. It's amazing. You know, they, they come up with a budget. They get out of, they climb. Some of them have climbed. I'm one of them that climbed out of debt. They save. And they, and they tighten up their spending. You know, it, and it changes them. You know, when you, when you say, hey, you want to go get some lunch? Well, let me check. Pulled out their phone. They checked their bank account. Nope, sorry. My budget says I can't do it now. Some people have gone through Dave Ramsey. They go, Dave says I can't buy that. That's a transformation that happens. They're disciplined in their spending. They're diligent in maintaining their assets. They live differently after they decided to maintain and match and manage their assets correctly. Jesus does even more than that. He will change every aspect of your life. So believers, we need to realize where we stand in this salvation and what we're called to do. Now, I would like to speak to those of you who do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, who, who or, maybe, or maybe you're just unsure. You're, you're an unbeliever or a disbeliever or just a doubter. I want to talk to you a little bit this morning. Because this passage is not just for us believers. This passage is for those who do not believe. Would you like a better now? Would you like a better life now? Not monetarily, not resource-wise. But I, do, I will tell you, God does bless and help in that arena. Does your past haunt your present? Does what you did in your past continually come up in your mind over and over and you have no idea what to do with it. You know, some of you may not have realized that God's grace is available for you no matter 
what? It's there. There's, there's nothing special you have to do. You don't have to get cleaned up to take a bath. You don't have to get cleaned up to come to Christ. You know you've sinned against God. And you know God will hold you accountable in the next life. Somewhere probably in the back of your mind, you may know that. You've heard that enough times. You know those two facts. I've sinned and God's going to hold me accountable. And if you know those two facts, you're in the perfect place to accept the grace of God that has appeared for salvation. You're in the perfect place because all of us who are believers, we had to come to those two facts. I'm a sinner and God's going to hold me accountable. What in the world am I going to do? That's, that's the starting point. I can't save you till you realize you're lost. It's like throwing a life preserver to someone in the ocean and says, well, I'm fine, he's drowning, but I'm fine, you know, until he's convinced the third or fourth time he's gone under and the, the gallon of water he's swallowed. We have to know those two things. So if you know those, you're in the perfect place. And you may, may have, may have, you may have sat here week after week, week after week, week after week, hearing me tell you, that by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you can be saved. You may have done that, and that's fine. I'm telling you, it erases your sin. God says he casts it as far as the east is from the west. You know how far that is? Forever. Because if you keep going west, you're not going to get to the east. It just never happens. You're just still going west. But you may not have realized that I was talking about your sin. Because we all have our sin. Whatever it may be. Yes, your sin, your guilt, your fear, your regret can all be erased. Can be taken over by the love of Jesus Christ. I mean, look at verse 14 again. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. He gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness. He's, he's willing to buy you back. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ died for sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He's put the death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. That's the death, burial, and resurrection explained. That's what it did. Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your mouth you confess and believe, and with your, heart, with your heart you believe and are justified. With your mouth you confess, you profess, and are saved. Because the wages of sin is death. Oh, but the gift of God, the gift of God, the gift, let that sink in, it is a gift of God is eternal life. It has no catches, like a lot of gifts you might get. <laughs> it has no catch. It has no strings attached. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. From those passages alone, can't you hear God calling you? Can't you hear God telling you, come to the grace that has appeared? He is calling you, I promise. I promise. God's grace offers all people eternal life, and that can start being enjoyed right now. So the question for you that aren't sure if you believe or not, will you believe? Will you trust Jesus? 
Will you repent from all the ways that you've been hanging on to, all your ideas of salvation, and accept Jesus as the only way? I'm inviting you this morning. It's the only way. The only way. Which is why Christianity is hated, because we're so exclusive. But it's the only religion, it's the only faith that's based off of love, not doing, not rigor, not imprisonment and beatings. Let Jesus rescue your soul from eternal damnation, because that's what it is. It's a rescue. And today is the day of salvation. Now you can start. Now you can live a different life. I beg you, please, let God make your life better. A life saved by Jesus, though, means better now, but it also means much better in the future. Heaven is our final destination. Heaven is our final destination. The second point this morning is that God's grace makes our future secure. God's grace makes our future secure. Verses 11 and then 13 and 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That's a fact, and you've got to keep that in mind when you go down to verse 13. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people of his own possession. See, Jesus doesn't save you and then leave you here forever. He's going to take you somewhere. Great. Wonderful. Christ saves us in our present condition because our future depends on it. And this is the only time he will save you is in the presence, present life. Once you die or once he returns, there is no second chances. Our life now, it completes good works eagerly while we wait for the blessed hope. Oh, the blessed hope. Do you know what the blessed hope is? The appearing again of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, Paul makes it clear. Jesus our Lord and Savior, God's the Savior. God and the Son are one. It is the Trinity with the Holy Spirit wrapped up right here. The appearing again of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus will come again. He will. People want to argue and say, well, it's been 2,000 years. Well, he's not impatient like you are. He's not. The minute Jesus comes back, no one else can get saved. God's very patient. He's very merciful. And I know I would love for him to come back in my lifetime. But, but think about who your God is. We read about him in Psalms 145. His slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, compassionate. His mercy never ends. But one day his patience will. Because of faith in Jesus Christ, we can assuredly hope in the return of the King of Kings. We can, we can rest in that. And the next time he comes, it will not be as a carpenter born in an obscure little town, growing up in an obscure little town. He will come back in power and glory and everybody will see it. And everybody will be forced to believe it. Not for their salvation, but the fact that it's a fact. He, come back, he comes back to separate the lost 
from the saved, the believers from the unbelievers. And those who do not believe will be sent to everlasting fire, or we call it hell. I love it when people use that as an idiom. Oh, hell on earth, that was, a, that was a hellish experience. They have no idea what hell's going to be like. But it, you will be punished forever if you don't trust in Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just telling you the facts. But those who do believe, man, what an what a investment, what a retirement plan. Those who do believe will be received into the kingdom of God as the people of Jesus. You're his brothers and sisters. You're co-heirs of God, co-heirs with Jesus. And he possesses us now, but will gather us into heaven upon his return to live forever and ever. You belong to him now if you're a believer, but when he comes back, he will take us home forever and ever. God's grace is unending for the believer. God's grace is unending for the believer. But when he sends Jesus back, his patience has expired for the unbeliever. There will be no second chances when God's kindness and mercy for sinners runs out. He will be forced by his own character. This is not me creating this. This is God, his character. He will be forced by his own character to pronounce judgment on lost souls. Because like I said at the beginning, a righteous God can't have sinners in his presence. And the only way you can be righteous is to be in Jesus Christ. Grace abounds now for our future home. Don't waste his amazing grace. Believe and repent. Because Jesus said this. He was on trial. Maybe, maybe you remember this. Mark 14, 62. He was on trial with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were just charging him with all calling, trying to get witnesses. Come finally, finally the chief priest steps up and he says, Are you the Christ, the Son of the living God? Well, Jesus could have kept his mouth shut. But he didn't. I am, he said, and I will, you will see me seated at the right hand of power and I will come again on the clouds of heaven. He's coming back and it will be a spectacle for every eyeball. It will happen. He will return and his offer of salvation at that point will expire. There is a limitation on it. You know, we marvel at the people that have been persecuted for Christ. And if you, if you have a chance, pick up the Fox's Book of Martyrs and read it. There's some, I think it's an old English kind of translation, but you can get some that's in modern English. It's amazing, the stories, and it's heartbreaking. Not everything's a happy ending in this life. But if you know Jesus, it is a happy ending in the next, because it never ends. <laughs> it's the grace of God, though, that makes their hearts strong. You know, we say, wow, what faith they have. Well, they did have faith, but it's because of the grace of God. God gives them that faith. God reminds them of the blessed hope. Yes, your body might get killed because you profess faith, because you're trying to plant a church in a very, very dangerous place. But they don't doubt their eternal destination. They're willing to face it. They know whom they have believed in, and they are persuaded that he is able to get them to where he's promised to take them. God's grace makes them brave by making good on his promise of eternal life. So let me ask you, do you have that promise? Have you accepted that promise? Do you hold on, hold on to that blessed hope, that blessed hope that's going to come back? 
do you know where you would go? That is the question. And you may say, well, pastor, I don't, I don't believe in heaven or hell. So I don't need this hope. I'll tell you right now, friend, it does not matter what you believe. It doesn't, what you believe. It only matters what's true. Your disbelief never affects the truth. That's what we sometimes get wrapped around the axle by. We're trying to defend the truth because someone says they don't believe it. I don't have to do that. I'm going to tell you the truth. You choose. But it doesn't affect the truth. It's still truth. Your disbelief only affects your outcome at the end. So are you willing to bet all of eternity on your beliefs? Does your conscience agree with your beliefs? I've, I've seen that, that fight go on in my own heart sometimes. What I believe up here and what my conscience is telling me is like not in agreement, but I'm ignoring my conscience sometimes. Does your conscience agree with what you say you believe? Or are you just denying Jesus so you can live how you want? You can believe what you choose and you can live any way you want. You can do whatever you want. Are you just denying Jesus and this truth because it's just going to cramp your style? I hope not. As a matter of fact, I would guess that many times you've been afraid of what's next. You've seen death. You're afraid of what happens when you transition from this life to the next. You've been guilty and felt it inside. You've regretted stuff and you don't know how to fix it. Well, that's the beautiful thing about grace. See, grace offers you and guarantees you eternal life in the next one. Eternal life in heaven. All grace asks for is for you to trust, to believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for your sins. Your sins, not my sins, your sins. That's what it asks for. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And oh, by the way, all of us were the worst. Paul says he was the worst, but every person that was born was the worst sinner. We're all at the bottom. But Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So will you trust in God's grace to secure your future forever your future's hanging in balance I hope you don't bet it on some belief that you like or prefer I mean in light of all the trials of life God's grace has come to give us life now and forever so as I wrap this up this morning I know I have made some really strong pleas this morning about salvation to you because I know that this one truth exists grace offers you heaven. Grace offers you a heaven to gain and a hell to lose. That's what grace, the grace that appeared, offers you. See, Christianity runs on love. It runs on love. It doesn't run on doing. It doesn't run on, on rules. It's got rules in here, but it doesn't run on that. Salvation comes because of love. God's love. And his grace is the most phenomenal act of love ever known you know the story he sent his son to die 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish eternally but have everlasting life. I want you to let that sink in this morning and think about it hard. Let's take some time right now and let's have some silent prayer. Praying to the Father for your soul. Let's pray for those souls we know that are not believers and ask God to reveal his amazing grace to them. Let's, let's pray.